Hi coaches, Brian Blackburn here with the Pound the Rock podcast. I want to thank our sponsors through HardwoodTexas.com as well as HardwoodTexas.com for uh, sponsoring the Pound the Rock podcast. Today our guest is Coach Matt Garnett. Uh, Matt is the uh, owner, founder, and director of MG Basketball Instruction. Uh, he also does the MG Basketball guard school and post school camps uh, throughout Texas during the summer. Uh, Coach Garnett began his coaching career at the high school level before moving into the collegiate ranks. Uh, during his time as a head coach at McMurray University in Abilene, Coach Garnett led McMurray to its first American Southwest Conference Championship and NCAA tournament appearance in over 10 years. Uh, then at Wayland uh, Baptist, Coach Garnett orchestrated a turnaround leading the Pioneers back to the NAI National Tournament in both 2014 and 2015. After inheriting a team that only won nine games prior to his arrival, in 2014-15, they produced a 27-6 and record and the school's first Sooner Athletic Conference Championship in program history. Then in 2017, he was the associate head coach at Texas Wesleyan University, where the Rams won the NAI National Championship. Also, as a player, Coach Garnett was an All-State guard for Glen Rose High School, as well as an All-American player at uh, Wayland Baptist. So, Coach Garnett, thanks for being with us today. Oh, absolutely. Look, looking forward to it. All right. Well, uh, our, our topic of discussion for this season on the Pound the Rock podcast is uh, the preseason, that time from uh, August to October. So what is something maybe that you learned this summer or something that you implemented with uh, the players that you've trained? watching a lot of film and live games and, and trying to identify some, some areas where uh, one of them was where we were, uh, we just saw kind of too many turnovers. And, and, and we call it the shield and see situation. Um, it's, it's when a, a player is attacking off the dribble and it's not a penetrating kick or a dish and they don't they don't get to a finish and, and they get to where um, they get cut off and they don't have just that um, automatic read to make there. And how do they navigate through that? I think a lot of kids we were seeing were were still trying to make a play, whether it was jumping in the air, being off balance, uh, and they didn't have anything really good to do with it there. So we really worked on the idea of, of getting to an ending point, getting to a stop there, uh, and then utilizing what we call a shield and, shield and see where, where there's a pivot involved. Um, and, and they're really just trying to survey. And then we talked um, a lot about what other players uh, may be doing there, coming back to the ball, back cutting. Uh, and, and I think it was a it was a good area to see some improvement in with some of the kids that we were coaching, uh, where it, it just kind of got them to a, a better place of, of not turning the ball over at the end of that end of that situation. So that that was exciting to see. That was one thing we did. Another thing that I think that um, we tried to really do a better job of is how, how do we teach um, passing better? You know, how how do we get kids to throw strikes uh, as passers and, and uh, and not just do it by you know static passing drills, and, and we, we're doing a lot with the idea of uh, decision making. Of course, that's, that's a lot of focus for a, for a lot of people these days on that. But we, we created a few situations with the, the swing of the ball, uh, where uh, if, if the pass wasn't a strike, um, the advantage was lost really pretty quickly. And, and you know the game exposing a bad pass or a game exposing an average pass as opposed to a strike or a great pass. Um, that there's just so much more, um, I think, value and and, uh, and and teachable moments when when the game kind of shows the kid that 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 pass wasn't where it needed to be instead of constantly as the coach 
harping on, you got to make great passes, game passes, you know. And so th- those were two things that I thought were were exciting to, to see some growth in and that we're going to really focus on um, in the fall. Yeah. Now, when you're talking about the uh, uh, the the shield and C, that comes off of the, I, I can't remember exactly what you called it. Is it the quick stop or quick hop is what you call it? You know, it can, yeah, it can come off of a hop, it can come off of a one-two, you know, depending on how you choose philosophically to teach, you know, the ending of whatever play that you make there. Um, and, you know, it could it could be deeper into the paint, um, it could be right into a penetration gap where help jumps you, and you just don't, you don't make that quick decision or you don't see it or it's not there. And then being able to um, not panic in that moment, um, stay calm, and that's what we call yeah. the shield and see. Gotcha. Well, I, I remember at uh, the clinic there uh, at, at Wayland, you had a, a a drill where you guys were just, I mean, relentlessly, kind of like Villanova, you know, relentlessly getting into the paint, but you're also stopping on on two with it with that quick with that quick stop and and I, you know, that's something that we've tried to implement here because that low center of gravity and you're kind of a wider base kind of gives you a little bit more power and, and strength when you get in there amongst defenders. Is that is that what you've seen with your guys? Absolutely. You know, and I think, and I'm, I'm a proponent of, of still liking situationally um, to get to that one-foot finish when, when that's the advantage. And so I think what's, what we've seen is, um, and again, it's trying to get the kids to, uh, to, to self-discover some of these things to where, you know, they find themselves in a situation where they try to come off one foot or they or they don't get to that, that good two-foot stop there, and it doesn't work out, and they're off balance. And that's a great teaching moment of, you know, that's that's where we got to get to two. And, uh, yeah. and so that's, that's really good because at the end of the day, um, you know, from drill, carry over to, you know, messy in the game, getting them to understand uh, the win and, and it's, it's such an important piece of that. So I think that's that's been a great uh, – a great challenge to, to, to try to attack that and teach kids some, some better instincts and, and things to do when they get in there. Yeah. Now with the passing, uh, you know, we want that that perfect pass to the to the uh, teammate could be on the perimeter, like setting up to shoot. Are you teaching a specific type of pass or more? Uh, you know, this is where we want the pass more than the the type of pass. You know, more of um, two things. One. Whatever whatever pass ends up happening there, getting it, getting that perfect pass to happen, and then one of the biggest teaching points there is is the idea of uh, windows and, and playing yeah. off your left lane or your right lane, and the idea of I think righties are really good going to their right hand and playing into that outside lane with their right hand uh, where there's a more of a window uh, most of the time. But I think when they go to their left hand, a lot of times what you see is a pickup. And then they're throwing across their body right to left. And I think that creates a whole different window um, that's not going to be as good against a really, you know, good defensive team that has more length. And so trying to get them to understand whether they're playing with with truly uh, a left-hand push pass or if it's with two hands, but making sure that they play through the lane um, that they're playing uh, towards. And I think those different um, ideas there, I think, really show up in games uh, and, and understanding, if a kid can understand a window, and I can, can understand going left, he's playing left, um, hopefully then they just learn to make that play. And it, it doesn't become something that's robotic. It's just a little more of an instinct that you're trying to develop. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that, that's good stuff. And, you know, every every player, you talk about a, a righty driving left. 
uh, it's no longer a window. It seems like it's more like a, a rearview mirror. Like it's really tiny. They can't they can't make that play. So that's something we can definitely develop. Now it is one way, and I I talked to uh, Coach Chris Oliver recently. You know, one way to develop that type of passing and seeing those things would be a, maybe an offensive advantage drill where you have four offensive guys against three defenders. You're driving and kicking. Is that is that a way to maybe implement that type of teaching? Absolutely, and you know, I think that uh, uh, that's that's such a, a hot topic these days of the idea of versus there, or you know, the advantage, you know, small sided games, and and I, you know, I'm going to be the first to admit that um, I'm I'm just never going to be one that that, that um, is going to tell a coach what they're doing is wrong because um, a, a coach knows his players and a coach knows his struggling better than than anybody else, and so. Um, I do think that there's a progression there. I think depending on the group I'm working with, uh, whether it's a, a lower level or a higher level, I think that there's always an element of versus there that we're gonna, uh, we're gonna make sure we understand the technique. We're gonna make sure we understand the why. We're gonna make sure we understand what that window looks like. And then, I think in the training world, uh, you know, we, we, we've gotta be willing to then get messy and let the game play out because I think that's the, the, the fallacy, if you will, of the training world is, you can make everything look good. And yes. There's probably guys that do a lot better on the business side because they make everything look good and they make it this the secret sauce. It's all those things. But at the end of the day, the game's messy. And so I love some of the things that Coach Oliver and, and these new ideas of, of really creating um, creating messy, you know, and, and learning to make these plays um, in the game situation. But I, I'm just a huge progression believer in that uh, – there's there's just real value in versus there. I just think you can't have can't have just one or the other. I think you got to you know decide what works for your team in regards to how you progress. Gotcha. Well, uh, we're going to kind of play the the hypothetical here. Uh, if you were running a high school program, what would you be focusing on here the first six weeks of school? So you're at a, a program where, let's say, most or all of your basketball players are are in your athletic period. What are the things that you're going to be focusing on? I mean, it can be, you know, as generic as strength and conditioning, or you can be, you know, implementing offense. What are what are some things that you would be doing with your with your team? You know, I think I think the first thing that you see, and, and I'm getting to work uh, with athletes in different programs, getting to know the coaches, and getting to go to practices. Um, it's it's really uh, it's, it's it's all the good ones have a real strategy behind their fall, and I think. You know, the more creative you can get in how you're going to get your weights and conditioning, it's going to maximize your court time. And I think that's a that's a huge piece. And I think, you know, that would have two goals. Um, one of them is going to be the skill development piece. And then the second goal, uh, you know, there's a, a great quote I read the other day, and it, it said that um, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, become more, then you're a leader. And, and I think at the end of the day, I mean, we all know in, in shooting, yeah, you're not. There's no magic, and so you can try to put a kid on the right track, but they're going to have to fall in love with that process. And uh, so, something that I think I, I wish I had done more, I wish I had been exposed to more, was is the idea of trying to make um, shooting uh, something that's a little more fun to do, whether it's shooting challenges, and not just always referring to it as like you know the the, the grind or the, the being lonely in the gym. I mean, I grew up being lonely in the gym, right? So I, I completely value that, but at the same time trying to trick kids into doing more um, and so I think you know shooting uh, being number one skill finishing um, you know it's really interesting I was looking at some synergy stats the other day 
and there were uh, 27 Division One programs that shot under 50% um, in the paint um, around the basket that wasn't a post up. And so you talk about uh, at the Division One level, you know, right. finishing under 50%. So I think finishing, you know, and I think you know some of the things we introduced at that Wayland Clinic. You know, going with what you're comfortable with, what you believe the refs in your area are going to call. I mean, what what is your, whether it's one, whether it's two, whether it's one, two, whatever those things are. But then finishing is pressure every day. I mean, I think that at the top level is finishing such a big deal. Um, and then the, the the other piece of it that I think I don't know that I ever did a great job of and um, I, I, I would do more of is the idea of how do we really develop IQ. It's a little easier at the college level to go, you know, recruit a smart player. <laughs> But how do you develop IQ? And it's something that we've really tried to do, and it's a little easier for me to do it in a training, in a training situation because um, it, it's it's all about being able to take risk and things. But it's the idea of um, play, you got to allow players at some point, and I would try to do it the first six weeks of school, is uh, to do what they think, do what they think they see, do what you think you see, um, whether it's in a small-sided decision-making game, whether it's in um, you know, a drill or a live, do what you think you see, and then if you're seeing it wrong, um, then we've got to address what are you seeing uh, and then try to fix that. But I think so many times, and I've probably created this environment in a big way, is um, you're always trying to play such clean basketball. Um, I think sometimes kids are just trying to, to hide and not make a mistake. And, and I think the idea of allowing kids a time that they can do what they think they see, and there's not always um, the turnover doesn't always equal the end of the world. It equals a learning moment, um, and and I think that the closer you get to practice and, and games, and as a coach, that luxury goes away. You know, it's about making the right play, and I think that's harder to do. Our patience level is harder the closer you get to those wins and losses still going to happen. And so, um, I would do a lot of that. I think early on uh, to try to create that environment um, where they have a chance to, to improve their IQ. Yeah, that's that's really good. So the two goals being skill development and the ways to do that would be shooting and finishing, developing IQ, and then, you know, creating a culture of toughness and competition in the in the weight room and, and in the gym as well. And so those those were the two areas that Coach Garnett mentioned would be huge for, for a program if he was running a high school program. That's that's a good good thought and I really uh I think that's an area that everybody can kind of improve on kind of going along with that uh, what are some areas that coaches might overlook in in training players and so you know we're yeah we're coaches but I mean as a coach we're also skill development coaches with our with the players in our program and so there's some areas just I know we're generalizing here but are there some areas that maybe you've noticed that coaches can do a better job of uh, training training our players yeah I mean I think um and I, I really believe this to be true. I think that um, some of the best um, at developing players are, are going to be high school coaches in what I saw over the years just because um, you don't have the element of recruiting um, involved. And so I think that there's a lot of rights being done, a lot of good being done. But I, I know the best example of, of what's being overlooked in training their players was when I look back um, at myself um, when, I, when I wasn't doing this more full-time and, and seeing just some gaps in, in some of the things I was doing with player development. Um, and, you know, I think it comes down to, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's always a self-evaluation process, I think, and, and that's something that I've, I've tried to continue to do. Um, but it's, you know, what, what's showing up in games with your team? Mm-hmm. What's important to you and your style of play? 
and, and then is the things I'm focusing on in player development, are they really a, a, re, a reflection of that? And are we really getting to that meat? Because I think there's there's great drills. I saw something the other day um, that uh, it, I think it was Coach Showalter talking about don't just do drills because you, you like those drills. And I think that's such a great uh, convicting thought there um, of are we really um, – are we really focused and dialed in on, on, on those situations? Not, you know, it's, to me, um, I think, you know, wasting too much time on just like dribble moves. Um, I don't know that high school coaches do as bad a job of that. It's probably the culture of, of skill training. I think great players have multiple things they know how to do with the ball, but you know, how many of your players actually have a game situation where those dribble moves show up and would you really want them to show up? Um, yeah. And so I think with, you know, the ball handling aspect of it, I love the idea of Maravich drills and, and tightening your ball handling. And then I think with movement, though, um, I think the, the focus on changing speeds, being able to accelerate and uh, and then decelerate and hitting the brakes, I think those two skills are more important than a lot of the dribble moves that we do. Um, and I don't know how much the dribble moves are actually probably developing things that, that translate. I like the idea of um, in the masses, again, you're going to have your special players that, that have more, but having a go-to dribble move, you know, a go-to um, that doesn't involve a high-risk um, attack, a go-to and a counter, you know, in the half court to where if you get caught in a situation um, that it's not a quick decision off the shot, pass, or drive, that we have something to go to. Uh, and making that a little bit more of um, we're making the decision for the kids. I think that's the ball handling aspect. I think it's an easy, it's an easy piece of training. You could just do all that. So I think really challenging – um, myself and, and I think as coaches challenge ourselves to how are we are is our ball handling really tying directly to to things uh, that show up in games. You know, I was looking at um, you know talking about what shows up in a game. You know, like I, I looked at three different teams on that were good Division One teams this year. Marshall, uh, who's a ball screen spread ball screen, do just do an unbelievable job there. Yeah, um, 26% of their offense was spot up. 17% was ball screen. Um, Texas Tech, true motion, 24% spot up. And then which was interesting, 12% was isolation. And then Duke, um, who's just more of a four-out, going to attack you, 22% spot up, 18% transition. And so what you keep seeing, though, is um, the idea of the, the highest frequency situation that everybody's seeing is playing off the spot up. And so I think in player development, um, to me, that's where it starts, is, is being able to catch and make a decision um, while threatening to shoot, while threatening to attack. And I think with youth players, lower-level kids, if you were like with my daughters, if I could get my daughters just to catch and be aggressive on the catch, um, they're going to be so much better, better players just with that skill. And I think you you look across, I don't, I don't know that our player development, mine wasn't geared to that situation as much as it should have been, yeah. in my opinion. That's good. And so there's there's different ways we can do that probably and I, I just want to throw out a few and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, teaching players how to <clears throat> attack a closeout, teaching players to LTS is what we call it, look to shoot as soon as you catch the ball. LTS cuz like Jay Wright says uh you're not going to be more open than when you first catch the ball. Uh playing inside out, so throwing it into the post knowing that it's going to come back out and playing off of that situation? Or are those different ways that you see where where this skill can be taught? Absolutely. 
you know, and I think uh, just what you're talking about there, you know, threatening shot and then and trying to read. We talk a lot about the bubble in front of you and, and, and really understanding, uh, really spotting the bad closeout and spotting the short one. And then everything in between is a little more gray, of course, that, that you have to get deeper. But um, the more you can create those situations within your offense, I, I love the idea of just make, make two guard one and, yeah. and read. You know, and I think that um, – the more guys can see those situations, you know, I think with the end of the day, with motion, off the ball screening, with feeding the post, with penetrating kick, we're all trying to get two to guard one and then and throw to a throw to an opening. And um, and I think how we how we create that within our own program, um, you're right on the money there, in my opinion. I think that's you just you can't find enough good ways to do that problem. Good deal. Well, with the programs that you've run in the past, uh, and I know you were in Christian environments mostly, and, and so you had some things built in there that you could do, but what are some ways that you feel uh, coaches can build culture off the court with, with a program? You know, you're, you're right. With, you know, and in the college level, I think um, the, the neatest part of that is that you have such a relationship with a kid when he first shows up just because of the recruiting process. And, and I think um, it's all relational-based, but I think with – with a Wayland, and I mean, Plainview is very dear to my heart, but we're not going to win location. <laughs> you know, we got, we win the restaurants maybe, but we're we're um, we're we're having to form a relationship um, in order to get a kid to come there. And so I think, you know, with the McMurray dynamic of being Division three and fighting against scholarships, and so you have all these things built in. I think, you know, looking at um, when you don't have some of that built in, uh, you know, something I tried to do. Um, was whether a kid was on campus in the summer or whether he was back home, um, trying to communicate with a kid um, during a time of your life, of their life, where it wasn't about them being eligible, it wasn't about them scoring a basket for you. Am I purposeful in, in talking to those kids when really, in the immediate future, they're not doing anything particular to make us win a game tomorrow kind of a thing, and, and, and really trying to invest in kids when it's not convenient. Um, I think that goes a long way there, uh, you know, whether it's a phone call, whether it's a text. Um, you know, I, we always used to – I, I forget where I got it, but, uh, you know, you, you go and within the first five minutes I walked into the gym, before practice started, I wanted to have a, a personal uh, touch with every kid in the gym where yeah. I went over and said something to them, shook their hand. And I didn't want – I wanted to go to them. I always wanted to make sure it, – it's great if they wanted to come to me, but I, I wanted to walk around and make sure I had something purposeful to say and physically touch them before we started. Um, I think, you know, maybe if it's open gym, whether it's summer strength and conditioning, whether it's summer league, you know, every time you can have one of those personal touches and just being purposeful and kind of holding yourself accountable to do those things, um, I think that's great. You know, I, the other day I heard uh, uh, Doc Rivers was talking about coaching his son, and I thought he had such a powerful message. He talked about um, the one thing that Austin knew every time he walked into that facility was that he he had his back. Like his dad would have his back because that was his dad. And, and Coach Rivers was talking about what if every one of your players could feel that? Uh, yeah. You know how much how much more would they want to totalize? I, I thought that was just you know, almost starting there and then figuring out. You know how 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 do you develop uh, that that unbreakable you know kind of commitment to each other? That's yeah, really good and powerful for sure. I like that. Every player should know we have we have their back, and it doesn't it's not dependent on you know that's the the old uh, you know transactional versus transformational coach. 
transactional coach, you know, depending on how many points per game or rebounds you get. The uh, transformational coach, it, you know, it's the the person first. So it's really good. All right. What about two? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you, you know, it was it was it was two two different things. That one of them was the idea of you know we it's so much about the the parenting, you know, the the youth parents, the youth sport parent, and and, and we're living that with my three daughters, and it's uh, it is it's it's pretty dysfunctional. But <laughs> the idea of you know just telling telling your uh, son or daughter, I'm proud of you. I enjoyed watching you play, and, and I started thinking about Coach Rivers's quote and. And I thought, you know, I coach my kids really hard. I coach those guys really, really hard. And, and if that's such a, a valuable piece of being a parent, which I believe it is, um, there's times you don't have the luxury to tell them, I'm proud of you, yeah, I enjoyed watching you play, because that's probably the last thing you want to say. But but trying to steal those moments when you can just say those things. I mean, if, if we're going to try to make them feel that, then um, probably what's unhealthy about doing that, and, I, and I'm guilty, guilty, you know, very much in, in that um, of not – just being able to do something that you would do as a parent to a child to make them enjoy playing that game and want to play that game, uh, you know, while at the same time holding the highest of standards and, and having a really, you know, tough, accountable environment. Um, and, and then the last thing I, I, I'd say with that is um, Coach Cross, at, when he was at UTA, I think we all in the coaching ranks, I don't know I've met somebody that didn't just love and respect his culture. And I think um, the power of Coach Cross's culture was if you watched him practice, if you watched him a game, if you if you watched him work, whether he's out recruiting and things, I mean, he was a take the stairs guy. I mean, there was no doubt. Yeah. It was just a cliche, and I think sometimes our cliches, it's hard to really make those live out. And and the story that I, I laugh about is that I, I took my daughter's second grade class to a field trip in the, at UTA two years ago when coach was still there, and we were walking into the museum and there's stairs. And, and then there's an elevator, and it was a few flights of stairs, and every group was going on the elevator. And I just told the second graders, like, I'm not getting caught on this campus taking an elevator. Like, <laughs> you know, we're taking the stairs, you know. And that's, but you know what? Like, you didn't – even Coach Cross affected everybody around him, and I think that's the beauty of him as a leader. He lived it. So you didn't want to cross that line with Coach. And so I, I think, it, you know, culture starts there, too. you got to live it. Yeah, one, one, one other thing about Coach Cross is every player was held accountable and they knew that they were going to be, whether they were the leading scorer or a walk-on, they were all going to be held accountable and the standards were clearly stated and he was going to, every single time he was going to hold you accountable and he was going to praise you when you did right, but he was going to hold you accountable no matter who you were or what your name was, it was all about the name on the front. And so would you agree with that as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's, one of the best in the business, and I think you know watching Coach Dixon get to run practices over TCU. I mean, there's there's not a better teacher of the game, and, and I think what a great fit that uh, you know he'll just be able to enhance that that same type of environment over there at, at TCU because yeah, Coach Cross is one of the best. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. Well, that, hey, that's everything on my list, Coach. You have anything else that we didn't get a chance to cover, or uh, that that you want to talk about, or or introduce to our audience? You know the uh, you know the biggest thing that I think that um, I mean I, I think for a high school coach this is an easy thing but I think the more um, you know having having been a full time coach and that's all I ever thought I'd be and then you know having this uh, opportunity to impact kids through skill development I mean it's a I'm very lucky to get to do what I do and it's something that that I take very seriously but I think you know at the end of the day uh, the more that our basketball culture can can have a single focus in mind is to make these kids better players um, for their school, better players for their high school coaches. 
And I think if they're better players for the high school coaches, they're going to be better players to be recruited. And I think, um, you know, just trying to do everything we can to, um, you know, steal more time out of the day than the athletic period uh, by being able to uh, work kids, uh, you know, out, um, you know, that, that are from a school and being able to align what I do with a group um, from a Lipan or a Brock or a Lido or a Glenrose and make sure what I'm doing with those kids is going to make them better players for Coach Clifton and Coach Box and Coach Gaylor and Coach Jones. You know, that's, that's such an important piece of this. I think that the, the more we can all point things in the same direction, you know, at the end of the day, we all we all want better basketball players, and, and hopefully a lot of the new stuff that's coming out, the changes, whether they're for better or worse, hopefully they expose anybody that's not kind of a thing, and then you know we can just make the game better. Yeah. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about how to reach you, how to contact you, uh, more about MG Basketball, any, any any ways that we can get in contact with you? Absolutely. You know, um, well, we're going to run year-round events. The, the major events where we get out uh, across the state are going to be our, our posting guard schools in the summer. Um, and, and, you know, our website is mgbasketball.com. Um, you know, I don't I don't mind sharing any of my contact info. Um, my, my email's on there. My cell phone's on there. Um, you know, I, I love to talk basketball. You know, every every good coach um, is always looking to steal and adjust and evaluate. And so, um, I, you know, I, I love to to be plugged in directly to uh, where where I feel like it all started for me with my high school coach, Coach Hoffire, and getting to work for him. My first job is being connected to coaches and impacting kids. And so, um, you know, I I love to love to impact kids. I get to work with programs throughout the year. Um, or the kids in those programs, rather, and really try to help those those kids get better for their high school coaches, and uh, you know, have a, have a lot of fun doing that. Uh, but spend a lot of time with it too, and try to look at the game from an angle that's hard to do sometimes when you're full time coaching. When yeah. You have to be so team oriented, how to figure out how to really get those kids better. So, any anything that any, anybody ever wanted to talk basketball about, uh, I got a lot of questions too. And <laughs> feel free to reach out at any time. Coaches, thank you again for tuning in to the Pound the Rock podcast. Tune in next time for more great content regarding planning, developing, and coaching the game that we love. As always, I would like to thank our sponsors and HardwoodTexas.com, allowing us to get our basketball fixed 24-7, 365. Thank you again for listening, and make today a great day.